If your business is tired of paying unpredictable and high phone bills, do what I did. Switch to Zoom Calls Cloud Business Phone Service. You'll pay the same low amount every month, no matter how many calls you have in the U.S. and Canada. And Zoom Calls has a really cool feature called voicemail drops. Whenever you reach someone's voicemail, just say hi in their name and then click a couple of buttons on your phone to leave your pre-recorded message. It saves both your voice and your time. Check out zoomcalls.com. That's zoomcalls.com. I think you'll love it. Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. All right, all right, all right. You are listening to the home of conservative, not bitter talk. And yes, I'm your host, Todd Huff. Email as always. Well, not always. Used to be Todd at Todd Huff Radio. Now it's Todd at Todd Huff Show.com. I guess you can still email either one of those. Thoughts, questions, even accept your adoration and praise. Should you decide to do that? But in all seriousness, any questions, comments, thoughts, I do my best to get back as quickly as possible. All, all I ask is that you make a count. Sometimes I get messages and comments that I think, man, here's your chance. <laughs> Here is your chance and kind of blew it. But most, the vast, vast majority, good questions, comments, thoughts, that sort of stuff. Happy to hear from you anytime. Also connect with us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Todd Huff show yesterday, yesterday, I need to tell you that we were all ready to go in here and there was a technical glitch. I, uh, for some reason, without going into the technology as to how this works, I, I broadcast from my home studio, my home studio in a little town called Monrovia in Indiana. And... We use some technology to get out of here. We actually have fiber. You know, it's funny living in a relatively rural community for central central Indiana. We have fiber optics. Um, in fact, when we moved into this into this place uh, seven plus years ago, they were literally laying the fiber as we were moving in, and so that's what makes. The technology we use possible is that that type of a connection, and so. Uh, but yesterday, something between here and the station did not cooperate. Um, it's since been fixed, and I apologize for yesterday. It just would not, it would not connect. I don't even know if I could tell you why it didn't here this morning, but I can tell you that yesterday afternoon we knew that it did, and that it's working properly. So I appreciate your patience with that. So yesterday. We didn't have a program, um, and I want to summarize what happened over the weekend. Over the weekend, with the Democratic primary in the state of Nevada or Nevada, as President Trump insists. So, Bernie Sanders wins twenty-four of the thirty-six pledged delegates in Nevada. Twenty-four. Of the 26, so two thirds of those, and he does that by winning what was it, 40, 
40 some percent of of the vote which is troubling now he's still not at half of the democratic party but um, we have to remember what it was like for well in the republican primary in 2016 so this this takes a while just because someone isn't voting for bernie in the primary or caucusing for bernie now does not mean that they won't caucus for him or excuse me vote for him vote for him in the general election that of course uh, depending on the the candidate and i got some some things about that as the the program comes together uh, but but that's the argument right now the argument the concern right now in the democrat party is that they're about to nominate or they're on track to nominate a socialist excuse me a democratic socialist as though there's some big dramatic difference here you know it's it's amazing to me it really is and you probably know some of these people some people who say that they're democratic socialists and no matter how you define them they'll tell you that it's wrong of course they have trouble defining themselves so no one can agree on these definitions i think to heck with all that stuff the way to look at this is not to get into some debate over the uh, the minutiae of a particular ideology. It's whether or not an ideology embraces the foundational principles of this great nation. Those principles, by the way, are foundational truths. Those principles, by the way, are the foundation upon which we're supposed to live, this side of heaven. Liberty, freedom, opportunity. That's what this country is about. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, the individual. You know, people talk as though uh, we, we, they constantly talk about different groups of people, different minority groups. And of course, there should be equal application of liberty and freedom across the board, no matter what the group, no matter what the group of people, what their identity is. There shouldn't be extra rights given to certain groups and fewer rights for other groups. There should just be liberty and fairness under the law. I don't know what's so complicated and difficult for some people to grasp about this, but that's that's how it should be, obviously. And this, But, but there's a, a, a tremendous misunderstanding amongst some of these folks who want to embrace democratic socialism. Socialism wants to take, I mean, at, at the core, no matter how you want to define it, socialism wants to take the liberty of someone else of some person to provide something for someone else. That's at its core what it is, whatever you call it. Democratic socialism as though as though if a majority of people say that they can do that, that they can punish one group, take from one group to provide something to the other, suddenly it becomes morally, morally right. See, our founders didn't look at it that way. Our founders looked at these, these concepts of of liberty, these foundational truths, they enumerated some of these in the Bill of Rights. So, for example, let's say you want to say something that's totally, totally politically incorrect or totally something that the mainstream believes is completely, I don't know, unacceptable, they don't agree with. Let's say that you want to come out and question something about man's contribution to climate change. Now, the, the left... The radical left, in fact, they've, they've said this, 
They would like to even see that there, there be punishments for people that do this because these folks are standing in the way of, of truth. These folks are standing in the way. It doesn't even matter what you believe about this. I mean it does in the sense of dealing with an issue. But what matters is whether or not you believe in freedom and liberty because someone should be able to say what they want to say. And see, there's this crazy notion that says if you let people say what they want to say, how they want to say it, then the market or individuals, if you will, will make up their minds as to whether or not person making the speech is a lunatic, spot-on accurate, somewhere in between, whatever the case may be. And there are these bedrock principles these bedrock principles that apply not just to majorities of people as democratic socialism would apply. These apply to every person. These apply to the smallest minority, which is the individual. And all that stuff is hanging in the balance with with this ideology that we're staring down the barrel at right now in the Democratic Party. And so there are lot there's still lots of debate, argument, disagreement name-calling, references to Castro. Heck, there's been old footage of Bernie resurfacing, some 60 Minutes interview where he appears to at least moderately praise Fidel Castro. That's right, Fidel Castro. We might might get to that. But he says something along the lines of everything Castro did wasn't bad. (laughs) Everything Castro did wasn't wasn't bad, which is which is nutty to think about, because everything Castro did came from his belief that he was the totalitarian authorita- authoritarian dictator who could determine what was best for a country, and if anyone dare cross him, they would face incredible persecution, torture, even death. Now. That might seem acceptable to Bernie on some level. I, I I have no idea how someone can defend that. Now, I know what Bernie's saying is, well, you know, these ideas that he's trying to force people to agree with, these ideas weren't all, weren't all bad. My question is, if you have to force people to agree with them, why do we think that they're good? See, force in itself is the problem. Therein lies the problem. See, government is force, a government that has... No respect for the individual, no respect for liberty, no respect for freedom, no respect for free speech, free religion, the Second Amendment, whatever the case may be. That in in and of itself is an evil, folks. Government is force. Force – so that's why our founders wanted limited government because they wanted limited force. I don't know what's so hard to understand about some of this stuff. Bernie wants – More force, more force, more force to take away your money, more force to make you, I don't know, uh, have certain requirements for what you can can drive. And you think, well, what, Todd, what are you talking about? He's not telling us what we can drive. Bet me they're not. They, They will determine, they will set standards for the types of vehicles that could be manufactured and created, which of course is already happening, but that'll be ratcheted up to where you'll have to get 87 miles to the gallon or some such crazy number. Remember when Obama, by the way, was content with oil prices at what they were back during his 
his time in office because it was economic pressures to drive people away, no pun intended, to drive people away from driving their vehicles. So government using force is ultimately considered at some level acceptable, at some level acceptable by the democratic socialists. If enough people say we want this, someone else has to provide it, we want the government to step in and make sure that happens no matter what the cost. And so this has some folks, and I want to get to some sound bites here. This has some folks in a bit of a, a tizzy within the Democrat Party, including James Carville, including Chris Matthews, which will play some sound bites from both of them. Both of them have <laughs> have said some things that uh, you know are true in, po- in points, I guess, especially Carville saying that this is stupid what they're dealing with here. Uh, but. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about those things. Also, want to talk, kind of paint the picture of where we stand uh, with the current, uh, the process of, of, of selecting a leader. Remember, Michael Bloomberg has not officially been on a ballot yet. He's been written in a couple of times, but he's not been on a ballot yet. Does he have a chance, or is the Bernie Sanders train, does it have enough momentum to continue to march through the uh, South Carolina primary, which Biden apparently still is leading in the polling. We'll see. And then, of course, Super Tuesday, which is a week from today. Super Tuesday. That will tell us a lot. So talk about these things. Brokered convention. We've got Rush out there. This is just uh, tremendous stuff to get into. But we're at day number 23 of a Democrat Party in crisis. And I want to explain that as well sometime during the program. But I've got to take a time out. You are listening to the home of conservative, not bitter talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. Welcome back. Day number 23, Democrat Party in crisis. Democrat Party in crisis. You know, I want to clarify something here. I want to clarify when I say this. Um, this is – you have to understand uh, what I'm attempting to do here. So the Democrat Party, the Democrat Party in crisis is basically sim- – is, is meant to mean, point out that this party has problems. Remember, it's been presented to us as this alternative to Donald J. Trump, and Donald J. Trump has been nothing but a Nazi fascist uh, dictator, and the Democrats have had four years to get their act in gear, get it, pull their act together, and to launch Iowa. They stumble. They don't stumble. They fall flat on their face. No clear winner in Iowa. New Hampshire is what New Hampshire is. Uh, Nevada, 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 takes off, and uh, there's problems there too. I mean, you might have been asking yourself, why in the world? Why in the world does it take so long to get the vote in? Because it was. It didn't look as bad as Iowa, but it was still a problem, still a major problem. I think on yesterday morning, I think I saw, I don't know, I think it was 60% of the 60% of the precincts were still reporting. And I think you're used to seeing, you know, 95, 98% by 
the night of the primary or caucus is typically what we're accustomed to seeing. That stuff's been, you know, it's been all over the place. They can't count the votes, and I just find this this humorous. I only point this out to demonstrate that this is not a machine that can be that that's unstoppable. That's how this was. That's kind of the the stage that was set before this final campaign narrative kicked off here about three or four weeks ago with the Iowa caucus. And so I'm simply pointing out that we're at day number 23 of a party in crisis because not only can they not count votes, not only are they having to defend a democratic socialist or just if you prefer a straight-up socialist on the top of their ticket, I mean they they are really – in certain circles, losing losing their minds about this. In fact, a couple of folks would include Chris Matthews, Chris Matthews, and James Carville. I mean, these folks are not they're not happy about this, and candidly, they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be happy about it either, because these are folks who are. Look, I don't want to say that they're moderate, but they're not. They're not outright socialists. These are folks who. Um, find themselves in a certain part of the, uh, you know, kind of the traditional establishment wing of the party. Uh, James, you're not quite ready for that yet. Just fires up when it wants to. Okay, so we've got James Carville on MSNBC with, yes, none other than Brian Williams. No word if there's helicopter fire being taken by Brian Williams here during the interview. But James Carville sitting with Brian Williams, and he articulates as Carville articulates he he makes the case um, against the radical wing of the party and he explains to them why this is not a good idea why this is not going to help them win an election now he may be proven to be wrong right there might be a lot more socialists in this country or folks who could be convinced to vote socialists not because they are socialists but because they have been really drummed up to hate the opponent so much. I know some of you think that that's has zero possibility. Um, but don't forget that people voted for Obama back in 2008 because he had a nice jump shot and he wanted a college football playoff system. Do not overlook that. That same mentality would also, uh, voters who have that thought process, that mentality, might also be inclined to say, hey, here's free college. In fact, I had I had a server the other day at a restaurant, we talked for a good bit, as I am inclined to do. We start talking. She asked me what I do for a living, and we exchanged some ideas. She's a younger lady, thoughtful, smart girl, and she says to me uh, back at the last election, she says, I was all on board for Bernie, basically uh, saying before she understood life, she's still, I think, I think she told me she's 21, so she's she wasn't um, old enough to vote, I guess, back last time, thankfully. <laughs> but she basically said, you know, yeah, I, I used to be drawn to that. That sounded right. Um, and, and now you could tell that she's worked and um, done some other things in life. She's realized that that's fantasy talk. That's nonsense. Now, I'm not going to say she's a died in the wool conservative but she's thoughtful she def- she at least we had a nice exchange i respected her opinions didn't agree with 
some of them. I agreed with some of them. But regardless, there's a lot of folks, I think, that fall into that kind of category. Socialism is appealing when you're a kid. Now, some folks are still appealed, have find appealing to socialism when they're adults too, but a lot of folks go out and they work and they see the real world and they think, this stuff is nonsense, right? I, I work hard for the paycheck I bring home. I don't need someone else to get their paw prints on this, taking it away because somebody in government thinks they deserve it more than I do. So that's kind of the, I guess, position, if you will, that James Carville James Carville is coming from here as he's talking with Brian Williams, and I think at some point you'll hear uh, Nicole Wallace as well, but if if I decide to play it that long. So here's James Carville. Here's James Carville talking about the stupidity, as he puts it, of people voting for Bernie Sanders. On the risk, talk about define risk in your view, and talk about down ballot races under a a Sanders nominee. Right. Well, I, first of all, I, I will mention names that I get any number of calls from panic congressional incumbents. I, 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 I know what's happening out there. I got a good, a, a real good idea. The entire theory that by expanding the electorate, increasing turnouts, you can win an election is is the equivalent of climate denying. All right. That when people say that, they're as stupid to a political scientist is is a climate denier is to an atmospheric scientist. So, so whatever you do, if you want to vote for Bernie Sanders because you feel good about his program, uh, because you, you, you don't like the, the, the banks on Wall Street or you don't like pharmaceuticals, that's completely legitimate. I understand that. If you're voting for him because you think he'll win the election, because he'll galvanize heretofore uh, sleepy parts of the electorate, then politically you're a fool. And that's just a fact. It, 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 it's no denying it. There's so much, there's so much political science. There's so much research on this that it's not even a debatable question. And if, if people are praised to this and they know that and they want to do it as Democrats, that's their own business. But I don't think that they have all of the facts that they need before they make this judgment going forward. James Carville's Nick. All right. So he's basically saying, look, this idea, this idea that in order to win elections, and Carville believes wholeheartedly in this. In fact, most of the conventional wisdom does believe in this. You know, in order to win a general election, you have to <clears throat> you have to expand expand the base, if you will. Um, in other words, you have to find you have to find people who uh, you have to find ways to bring people on your on your team. And so, if you go to one radical end of the spectrum of socialism, you've by default cut off a whole bunch of people. Who might have gone with a more moderate candidate, a more uh, a more liberal, less socialist candidate? But now you're forcing them to choose the farthest end of the spectrum in American politics today. Um, and he's saying that's not the way that you do this. He actually compared it, you know, if to, if you tell that to a political scientist, hey, in order to win this election, what we're going to do is pick the most polarizing end the most polarizing end of our political spectrum and try to draw candidates to it, a political scientist will say that's foolish because, you know, you have to to appeal to different parts of the party. You want to be in the middle. You want to expand out gradually without losing one side or the other. That's kind of the the theory here. And, I mean, it makes sense on one level. 
but you also have to account for the people. This is where I think oftentimes people in these positions don't – I don't think they take fully into account the people who are really in that core of the base who don't come out because there's so much uh, additional stuff that interferes with the really truly important factors. And people begin to question whether or not, for example, they are, in the case of Republicans, a true conservative candidate. When they start talking about things where the government's going to solve this, that, and the other problems, um, as they begin to expand it, it kind of depresses the conservative vote. And likewise, likewise, these folks that are looking to elect Bernie Sanders to solve all of their problems, whatever it is, education, pay for it, health care, he'll cut the check, whatever, um, you know, when they start – if Bernie was to move to the center, which how does Bernie move to the center at this particular point? I mean, Bernie's made a living off of being the guy that's pounding the podium, screaming to his rabid base about some of these things. So Carville says it's stupid to try to win an election like this. He says, I'm getting phone calls from people down ballot who are terrified because now they're going to have to campaign and be down ticket from a guy who wants to basically be um, well, to to be Fidel Castro, I guess. I mean, to to use a name here, that's an exaggeration. Take it easy, but but he wants to take the party, take the country, so far left to where we're effectively t- talking about socializing all sorts of things, government paying for really anything, taking over sectors of the government or of of the private sector, whatever, whatever it takes to to pay for things for. Uh, for the for the base there, I guess. But Carville says that's not how you do this. This is going to turn people away. This is going to hurt people down ticket. This is stupid, he said. This is foolish. So that's what Carville has to say about this. I've got to take a timeout. When we get back, I want to get into the, some of the stuff with uh, Chris Wallace, who's taken some, some pushback for something. I'm not even sure the guy really said. Uh, but anyway, that's the way that this works. You're listening here to the home of the Castro. Look, I said Castro because of what the next soundbite, because it's it's going to be relevant to that. And, of course, Castro did take Cuba to the left, socializing everything. Bernie adores at least some of the ideas that Castro implemented. That's why I threw the name in there, just for dramatic effect. But I've got to take a time out. You're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm the host of the program, Todd Huff, back here in just a minute. So talking here about the problems, the fight within the Democrat Party, we've got Carville effectively calling people in the Democrat Party who think Sanders can win. Uh, he calls them stupid and foolish. Played that soundbite here in the last uh, the last segment. In addition to Carville, James Carville, of course, uh, kind of came to notoriety, became a popular individual during the Bill Clinton years. We have another, another, another individual here, a leftist, right? A, a, a Democrat, a liberal, but he is um, he's he's drawn some fire for for comparing Bernie to uh, well, you'll hear it yourself here. I want you to hear this exchange. He's also being interviewed 
by Brian Williams of MSNBC. This is Chris Matthews on MSNBC talking about, well, where Sanders is and the momentum he and his party have at this particular – he and his, um, his base have at this particular point in the nomination process. What is going on here, and is this any way to pick a nominee? Well, I don't think so, but uh, it's, it is the way we're picking this one, and it looks like Bernie Sanders is hard to beat right now. I'm with Carville all the way in terms of the dangers of what alerts, what lies ahead in November. I'm very much aware of them. They're sitting on so much oppo research on Bernie, what he said in the past about world affairs, how far left he is. I'm not sure how far left he is, but they're going to make the most of that in terms of world politics. They're going to kill him. But uh, I think it's a little late to stop him, and I think that's the problem. By the way, if you look at the pattern, it's dynamic. Uh, Bernie won the popular vote in Iowa. He won, he won it again in New Hampshire. It looks like he's going to win it here when they finally get a vote. Bernie's been winning consistently, and I think it's mathematically understandable. Every time we poll, every time Steve and everybody polls, two-thirds of the Democratic vote, two-thirds of people who call themselves Democrats, are either liberal or very liberal. All Bernie ever had to do, and he's done it beautifully, is get a majority of that, and he's up to the mid-30s. If you get half of 67, you're into the mid-30s, and that's where he's gotten it a little better. Biden, his only prayer was to consolidate the third of the vote that's moderate and conservative. And he got nowhere near clearing that field. Nowhere near. That's put up four ways now. And so with new people coming in, Deval Patrick came in, he didn't make it. Uh, Bloomberg is in, he's probably going to survive a bit longer because of his money. But that field wasn't cleared. The only way Biden could win in that one-third of the vote that's either moderate or conservative is to sweep it. He got nowhere near. Bernie, on the other hand, did his job. He got more than a majority, more than a majority of that 67%. That is the name of the game. Game. It is pretty much over unless that changes. I was reading last night, Brian. I know you're a history guy, too. I'm reading last night about the fall of France in the summer of 1940. And the general, Renault, calls up Churchill and says, it's over. And Churchill said, how can it be? you got the greatest army in Europe. How can it be over? He said, it's over. So I had that suppressed feeling. I can't be as wild as Carville, but he is damn smart. And I think he's damn right on this one. So there you go. Chris Matthews comparing Bernie's victory in Nevada to Nazi Germany overrunning, taking over, invading uh, France in 1940. It's too late to stop him, Bernie says. It's over. This, of course, has upset people. It's called, they've called for the resignation, the termination, the firing of, excuse me, of Chris Matthews. Meanwhile, I don't remember those calls for the comparisons to Trump. In fact, we had Congress people, members of Congress, AOC, and others using the term concentration camp. Remember this? Concentration camps along the southern border. That's what Trump is running, they've told us. Incidentally, incidentally, if Trump is in fact running concentration camps, which of course is complete nonsense and gibberish, but if he were, why wouldn't we still be hearing about that, and why wouldn't they be doing everything they could to liberate uh, those that are held in said concentration camps? It's just stupid, nonsensical rhetoric, and the fact remains that there, of course, is the double standard in the media. Um, Chris Matthews, which he's, he's apologized since for this, by the way. It's not an appropriate analogy. Um, 
<laughs> There's some that are saying, oh, yes, it is. But anyway, um, again, illustrating here the turmoil, the, the angst, the fear, the uncertainty within the Democrat Party. Chris Matthews is here. Uh, yet just another example of that. I've got to take a time out. You're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. Welcome back. Day number 23, Democrat Party in crisis. And that is evidence. Uh, There's evidence of that based upon who their candidate currently is. An ideology here. Oz is having yet another sneezing fit over here. But it's evidence of a uh, the candidate that they've currently got leading the pack, which is Bernie Sanders. It's evidenced. There's evidence uh, in the fact that there is some of these accusations, allegations, comparisons being made back and forth. We've got James Carville out there calling folks who think Bernie can win uh, stupid and foolish. We've got Chris Matthews comparing <laughs> comparing the uh, Bernie campaign to Nazi Germany invading France in 1940. This, of course, upset people calling for the resignation or the firing of Chris Matthews on MSNBC. Uh, people pointing out that Bernie Sanders is Jewish, and so why would you use especially that comparison uh, when looking at Nazi Germany uh, and their hatred for uh, hatred for lots of people, but in particular Jewish uh, people who are Jewish and Bernie's Jewish? They think that's even a worse comparison. Reminds me, by the way, do you remember this when Dershowitz was defending? Trump during the impeachment trial. Dershowitz, also Jewish. I think I, I think I pointed this out on Facebook, maybe on this program. But there were comparisons made in the media. I remember that you know people saying that Dershowitz was acting like the Nazi uh, propaganda minister in the way that he was defending President Trump in this impeachment process. That whole shenanigan. The accusations were the shenanigan. Anyway, no no uproar about that. No calling for the firing of the journalists or whoever that made that comparison. That's okay. That's acceptable. And look, we, we just have to accept this. But I just I still think it's worthwhile pointing out because how easy it is to lull people into a, basically a sleep. They are – people are worked up when you're told them that they should be worked up. People – have formed a resistance, so to speak. That's what they call it. The resistance against Donald Trump because they've been worked into a frenzy over this. I guarantee you, you sit down and talk with them and you ask them specifically, what is it that you're resisting for president about President Trump? They have no idea. They're going to say things. They're going to say things like his Nazi regime. They might say his concentration camps along the border. Uh, who knows? They might say things that uh, – who knows where some of these folks will go. But my point is when you when you push back and ask for clarification, these are all – these are all blown out of proportion, exaggerations. There's no truth in the, in, in the basis of any of this. They've just worked people into a frenzy. This, by the way, is the strategy. 
And it's why there's tension in the Democrat Party, because the people who are worked into a frenzy, they're already on board with Bernie, right? They think that the establishment and the Democrat Party is also part of the problem. They think, you know, you guys, if you can't beat Trump and need someone like us to beat Trump who has the energy, you guys are just going to, you know, kind of put things on cruise control. You're not going to take it as far left as we need to to go. We need a revolution. That's what they think. We need a revolution. And by that, they mean a socialist revolution. I mean, it's not complicated, folks. It's not complicated. They'll tell you that it's not. They'll tell you it's something else or uh, that, that they're not abandoning American principles and so forth. Socialism is the antithesis of American values. It's the antithesis of, of what it of the way that we should be living. Look, there's there's factors. There's factors here in our in our uh, society that sometimes as conservatives we've got to find ways uh, to improve that don't involve the government through philanthropy or other organizations, churches and so forth. In fact, I there's a lot of uh, I think some of these government programs have arisen uh, because those problems were not being adequately addressed in some instances throughout history. Anyway, but the idea that government is the solution, force is the solution, Bernie is the solution, socialism is the solution is silly. But it's not silly to a lot of people who are fired up by Bernie at his rally and they are ready to go. There's still a long way to go in this, but right now he's got uh, he's got about 44% of the delegates that have been assigned. That's not enough, by the way, if the convention were held today proportionally he would not have enough because you have to have 50 percent majority in order to get the first ballot nomination so who knows what would happen but we got a whole long way to go yet and so super tuesday will take us a uh, a big step towards those ends or towards that end especially since 30 about a third of the delegates are up for grabs that day gotta take a break you're listening to conservative not better talk i'm your host todd huff back in just a minute play really quickly as trump takes the stage here in, in india at a press conference this is to finish the chris wallace thing here is his apology for those comments before getting into tonight's news i want to say something quite important and personal as i watched the one-sided results of saturday's democratic caucus in nevada i reached for an historical analogy and used a bad one i was wrong to refer to an event from the last days or actually the first days of world war ii Senator Sanders, I'm sorry for comparing anything from that tragic era in which so many suffered, especially the Jewish people, to an electoral result in which you were the well-deserved winner. This is going to be a hard-fought, heated campaign of ideas. In the days and weeks and months ahead, I will strive to do a better job myself of elevating the political discussion. Congratulations, by the way, to you, Senator Sanders, and to your supporters on a tremendous win down in Nevada. There you go. So the the apology is complete. He's done his duty here. MSNBC is happy. But uh, (laughs) we got a long way to go before the Democrat Party is back into uh, unified whole. But I've got to go. SDG. Keep safe. See you tomorrow. Take care.